Welcome to Altamar. We're going to navigate the high seas of global politics. My name is Peter Schechter, and with me is my co-host, Muni Jensen. We're going to captain this boat for the next half hour or so. So join us, and please go to iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice, and leave us a rating, a review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and thank you for the feedback. Tell us if you like our navigation. So in the last two episodes, we went broad, focusing on Latin America and then on Europe. In this episode, we're going to do the exact opposite. Instead of focusing it on a single place or on a single issue, we're going to focus it on a single man, Mohammed bin Salman, a man who has, in the last few years, brought consequential differences and brought and surrounded himself with an amazing and diverse debate about his importance and what he and how long his importance will last. He is, of course, the young prince, 32 years old, who is the new leader of Saudi Arabia. He is a prince still, he's not the king, but Saudi Arabia continues to be the fundamental place at the crossroads of so many things. It is the crossroads, the geographic crossroads between Africa, Asia, and Europe. It is the uh, oil crossroads, 30 to 35% of the world's oil comes out of the Arabian Peninsula, Persian Gulf area. It is the political crossroads where so much happens in the Middle East. And of course, it is the crossroad of Islam where Saudi Arabia has been accused of exporting such a radical vision of Islam. Now, the question we're trying to answer today is who exactly is this young prince who has so much power and what will his effect be of this power on the Middle East? He is hard charging and patient, colorful and unpredictable. There's no doubt about that. But is all that energy directed in the right way? Is Mohammed bin Salman a visionary reformer who will save the kingdom from economic failure and modernize its economy and society? Or is he just an impetuous brat, tempestuous monarch who's opened multiple battlefronts against enemies inside and out of the kingdom? And have um, his reforms been more cosmetic than really deep thought? So we're going to do this. This episode a little differently and uh, in other in other times what we used to do is to try to have one guest at a time but today we're gonna have a panel between two fantastic guests Jamal Khashoggi is a leading voice of serious journalism from Saudi Arabia Jamal has been the senior editor of some of the most important newspapers and television stations in the region and his hard-charging journalism has gotten him into trouble time and time again with the Saudi authorities he now lives in Washington DC and writes for the Washington Post and Bernard Haeckel is a professor of Near Eastern Studies and the director of the Institute for Transregional Study of the Contemporary Middle East, North Africa, and Central Asia at Princeton University. That's a mouthful, but let's just say he is one of the best respected Arab scholars in the United States today, so stay tuned for a very interesting debate. But first, let's talk a little about Mohammed bin Salman himself, MBS. He's the son of King Salman bin Abdul Aziz Al Saud, who became king in Saudi Arabia in 2015 and immediately made MBS defense minister. And since then, he's been taking over more and more power and functions of the Saudi government. And he's been a busy man. He's taken control of this critical nation and... Time after time again, he has mustered more and more power. In 2015, one of MBS's first moves as defense minister was to launch an Allied military campaign against Yemen after their president was ostered by Houthi rebels. Now, a lot of people say that this may have been one of his biggest mistakes, but there's no doubt that it has also been an enormous way to consolidate power and have the army under his control. 
He also, on the domestic front, uh, unveiled Saudi Vision 2030. It was an ambitious plan to move the kingdom away from oil dependency and and export uh, diversity. And The Economist wrote a big piece on Vision 2030. And in 2017, he then spearheads a Saudi boycott of Qatar, uh, onto which your other Gulf states and Egypt all joined in defense uh, uh, of Saudi Arabia, in which they all uh, collectively accused Qatar of supporting terrorism and what was seen as an increasingly close Qatari-Iranian relationship. And we'll see how that plays out because it's uh, not working very well for MBS. Um, in one of the most uh, headline-worthy actions, he few months ago, he placed dozens of senior princes under house arrest at the Ritz-Carlston, ostensibly as a, a crackdown on corruption, which turned out to be a gigantic hundreds of billions dollar uh, plea bargain and also a power play on the part of MBS. And, uh, you know, another thing that happened in 2017, which is not to be ignored, is the fact that uh, he sidelines his cousin, or at least his father sidelines MBS's cousin, who was then the crown prince. And suddenly, out of nowhere, King Salman made MBS the crown prince. So he is going to be the next king of Saudi Arabia. And I can't uh, stop this uh, summary without mentioning some of the reforms he's uh, made with regard to women, uh, liberalizing the ability of women to drive and a little bit to work, uh, although much remains to be seen about women still having to ask uh, men's permission to marry, to divorce, to get a job, and to basically conduct most other life functions. And I think last in his busy 2017 was this incredible story, which was so well reported by the New York Times, of which he summoned... Lebanese Prime Minister Saad Hariri to uh, Riyadh, and suddenly uh, Prime Minister Hariri finds himself in some sort of weird detention that nobody has ever really called it that, but uh, in some sort of detention as punishment for the steady growth of Hezbollah in Lebanon. Now, uh, Prime Minister Hariri has since gone back to Lebanon, but nobody can quite explain what happened in the month or so that he was... Uh, the guest, that's in quotes, um, of Saudi Arabia. So I guess the question for this podcast is whether MBS is a spoiled, power-hungry young monarch who likes to spend money on expensive toys, or is he a real reformer who is going to change the face of the relations in the Gulf and also change his economic situation at home? And, and you know, it's hard to answer that question because hes it's not as if all of this stuff is PR. I mean, he did, you know, in the September crackdown on dissidents, he did detain clerics and intellectual and journalists who were seen as disloyal to the government and justified it by claiming that they were agents of Qatar and the Muslim Brotherhood. And the crackdown provoked a big outcry from, from the rest of the world. So the, the, the reformist prince actually perhaps has a, a very authoritarian streak. Well, he's been condemned by the UN for human rights abuses just recently. And then... What what of this crackdown on corruption? You know, his, this 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 crackdown on corruption in which he housed uh, um, a, a large number of his fellow princes in the Ritz Carlton, uh, sort of the, the the jail for the princes for a while, in which he accused these princes of corruption and, uh, as you said, plea bargained hundreds of billions of dollars out of these princes as a restitution for having skimmed the state 
Um, and to a large extent, you know, this was an, a very lauded move in Saudi Arabia. I mean, we have to remember that Saudi Arabia is a, co- is a country where 70% of the people are under 30 years old. And so they, they clearly have a need to reform and change. And they clearly, like we're seeing all over the world, Saudi Arabia is no exception. They want to punish the elite. Right, but was that a shakedown or a power play more than a real purge against corruption? Because it is making some investors nervous. Um, there, they are, there is some growing concern about transparency and how that could affect some of the reforms. So um, it was a very colorful way of shaking down the elite and getting some money back, but was it truly um, a transparent operation? Yeah, I mean, was it a transparent operation or was it even a way to sort of really accentuate and show the power that he has uh, and prove that to the rest of the uh, royal family. You know, I don't know the answer to this, but I I have to say I, you know, I am, I have to confess to some admiration for this young prince. He still is somebody who still has all the excesses that we have all loved to hate about Saudi Arabia. He recently bought a a uh, yacht for $450 million. Uh, he recently bought a painting by uh, Da Vinci for also uh, in the 400s millions of dollars range. Um, so he has those excesses, but but we can't deny that he is making real changes. You mentioned the changes in women. Uh, he, he has... Uh, made some really, really radical proposals about what to do about the Saudi economy and to diversify the economy away from oil. Um, he, he, he wants to privatize part of Aramco, which is the national treasury. It's, it's, uh, it's still where most of Saudi Arabia's money comes from. He said that he wants to privatize 5% of Aramco. He's also said that that will equal uh you know, about $100 billion in income, income that he will use to invest in diversification and development projects throughout the kingdom. He wants to build universities uh, all over the all over the country. I mean, these are not insignificant changes to an economy which is completely dependent on oil. 80% of, of, uh, of Saudi income is still based on oil. And he knows that this is... Uh, 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 unsustainable at the price in which oil is today and also one day it's going to run out. So Peter all that sounds great but if you look at the other side and uh, the Washington Post has uh, penned an editorial titled The Prince of Hypocrisy and I keep thinking about the women yes they can drive and go to the movies but can they actually get jobs and become uh, you know open members of society and uh, Saudi Arabia continues to be one of the most protected uh, countries in terms of internal dissent and the liberal reforms that he's promised have not really taken place. And then look at what he's done in the Middle East. Aside from creating a significant humanitarian crisis in Yemen, he has further polarized relationships. And I'm not quite sure. Um, I think it will take time to figure out how this is going to play out. But let's listen to MBS himself in an interview when he was asked if he'd be open to dialogue with Iran. In his own words, here he is. How do you understand 
How can you reach any understanding with a person or a regime which holds a firm conviction in the extremist ideology on which it is based, which appears in the Constitution and in Khomeini's legacy, according to which they must take control of the Muslim world and spread their Twelver Jafri ideology throughout the Islamic world until the appearance of the Mahdi? How can I possibly convince someone like that? What common interests do I share with him? How can I reach an understanding with him? We know that we are a primary target of the Iranian regime. Reaching the Kaaba is a main goal of the Iranian regime. But we will not wait for the war to be waged on Saudi soil. We will make sure that the war is waged in Iran and not in Saudi Arabia. The prince coming out swinging. Look, uh, relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia have never been really great, but certainly since uh, MBS has been a critical figure in Saudi Arabia, the relations with Iran are deteriorating at a much faster pace, and the prince clearly believes that Iran is uh, leading a conspiracy to try to bring down the royal family in Saudi Arabia. And I, I think that the, all of this has now, Mooney, we've really kicked up enough dust here about who is the prince, is he a reformer, is he not, to bring in our panel today and um, try to get that question answered for the listeners. And, uh, you know, hopefully you and I will come to a conclusion at the end of this. So uh, let me just reintroduce our guests. Jamal Khashoggi is a writer, thinker, and respected columnist, a journalist journalist. Jamal began his career at the Jeddah-based English language daily Arab news. He became widely recognized for his coverage of the Afghan war and the first Gulf War. Early in his stellar career, Jamal was editor-in-chief of Al-Watan, the country's pioneering newspaper, but he lost that job because of his editorials. After various jobs as press advisor, he returned to Al-Watan as editor-in-chief in 2007, and again in 2010, his charging editorial style got him fired. In 2010, Later in 2010, Jamal was appointed to lead a new 24-hour Arabic news channel, Al-Arab. He launched the station in Manama, Bahrain in 2015. On the air for less than 11 hours, the government ordered Al-Arab to cease broadcasting. And by now, yes, you can guess, Jamal was fired for his straightforward, straight-shooting editorial style. Jamal now lives in Washington, D.C., where he writes for The Washington Post. Jamal Khashoggi, welcome to Altamar. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We're also very pleased to have Bernard Haeckel, who teaches at Princeton, and he is known as one of the leading experts on Islam and Oriental history. Haeckel grew up in Lebanon and in the United States. Much of his teaching and writing lies at the juncture of the intellectual, political, and social history of the Middle East, with particular emphasis on the countries of the Arabian Peninsula. He's written extensively on Saudi and Yemeni culture and politics, Wahhabism, Salafism, and the aspects of the Islamic doctrine and law. He has a PhD from Oxford, and after working in NYU and becoming a Guggenheim Fellow, he is now at Princeton University, where he directs the Institute for Trans-Regional Studies of the Middle East. Bernard Heichel, welcome to Altamar. It's great to be here. So I'd like to throw a, a very basic elementary question to both of you. Who is Mohammed bin Salman? Is he a visionary reformer who's going to save the kingdom from economic failure and modernize its economy and society? Or is he just an impetuous young monarch who's opened 
multiple battlefronts, both inside and outside the kingdom, and who's only going to get the kingdom in deeper and deeper trouble. Tell us a little bit about how you view the man. Jamal, let me begin with you. Saudi Arabia needed someone like Mohammed bin Salman. It was going through stagnation. It was moving slowly. We need to realize how difficult the world is becoming around it. So somebody had to come and, and, and seize the moment. Uh, but uh, is he doing it right? That is for us to discuss later. Uh, I, I think he wants to see himself as the second founder of Saudi Arabia, uh, inheriting the legacy not of his father, but rather of his grandfather, King Ibn Saud, who founded the kingdom a hundred years ago. And he wanted to be seen as a new founder of, uh, of, of, of the country. As a Saudi citizen, I would really like to see him as a reformist, as somebody who will energize and uh, provide jobs, particularly for uh, young Saudis, and turn the Saudi economy into a true uh, e economy. Uh, but also he is seen as very impressive. Uh, so it, it, it is quite confusing. I have mixed feelings about him. I like some of the things he do, but uh, I, I feel that he's doing it the wrong way. Bernard, are you equally confused, or, or how, how do you see him? Um, I mean, I, I agree with uh, Jamal in that I think Mohammed bin Salman uh, sees himself as a visionary leader, as a, as a, a man of destiny, um, a man who um, sees a major crisis confronting the country, uh, that the business-as-usual politics and uh, economic policies were uh, going to lead the country to disaster, uh, that uh, radical change needed to happen, um, at the, certainly at the economic and social levels, uh, but also to some extent also in the politics, especially the politics of the royal family and the politics of uh, the Islamists and the Islamic uh, uh, religious establishment. Uh, so he, he, he basically sees Saudi Arabia as desperately needing to be reformed, that he is going to lead this reform. Now, um, I think that his record so far, which is, you know, a record of only about two and a half years, uh, is certainly mixed. Uh, he has had some spectacular successes, and uh, he has also engaged in some uh, policies and actions uh, where the outcome is far from certain, and, and in fact may not be, may not be good. So let me, let, I, I want to divide um, the domestic policy and the foreign policy, but let's go through the domestic policy first. And, and Bernard mentioned these two aspects to it, which is the economic and the social reforms. Let me pick on the economic first. First, is is you know the, his agenda initially seems to have really won over the hearts and minds of Saudis because of the ambition of this agenda. But I guess the question is, is, is Vision 2030 something that's real, Jamal, or is, this, is he picking only at the edges of the problem? For his economic reform, I would like him to stop looking at the future and look at the present, fix the present, or at least do, that, do both things together. Uh, we, we have localities in Jeddah and Riyadh uh, that uh, very much third world country. Uh, horrible conditions. 80% of Jeddah city is without sewage. We need to fix that first. We need to fix 
the environment of of jobs uh, bring the saudis to work again uh, work ethics need to be re-enhanced again in saudi arabia before we go into more white elephants and build a futuristic city in the north of saudi arabia uh, but vision 2030 should be real we need a vision like that in saudi arabia but most of those ideas that he brought out uh, to us they they are a repeat of uh, five years plan that uh, been uh, thrown to us uh, every five years for the last 20 years, since the, f the first five years plan, I think, come out in 1975. And it had basically the same ideas, to free the Saudi economy from dependency on oil and etc., uh, etc. Et the only thing he added uh, to the Vision 2030 is some form of a check and balance. But it is not a check and balance by a, a parliament on an elected body, but by uh, a mechanism that he supervises. So he is the one who uh, does the plan, and he is the one who also uh, do a check and balance on the plan. Uh, there is something I want to add about uh, what he is doing from the perspective of a historian. If I was a researcher and historian, I would see also Mohammed bin Salman as somebody who is putting Saudi Arabia on a fast-forward mood. Uh, many of the things he is doing, probably he doesn't foresee uh, how the country would be like in 10 years' time. It is similar to what Henry VIII did when he separated the Church of England from Rome. Maybe he did that only uh, to get divorced, but he changed the discourse and the history of England forever. Uh, many of the things Mohammed bin Salman are doing today, despite what are his true attentions, are changing Saudi Arabia. And it is a good time for a researcher to go today or to monitor Saudi Arabia, and, uh, and I'm sure he will have a good book by uh, two, or three t uh, two or three years. Right. Bernard Haeckel, let, let, me, let me pick up on, on Jamal's question, which is, you know, is he really uh, Henry VIII? Is, I mean, the prevailing narrative in the West is very much that MBS is trying to rid Saudi Arabia of hardline Wahhabism in favor of something that's more moderate. But I think Jamal has written about the fact that he's also has arrested a number of moderate clerics along the way. Do you, what is the real picture of what he's trying, of what M Mohammed bin Salman is trying to do from a social point of view? So I, I think that, um, you know, to, to really understand him, uh, you, you have to look to countries like uh, China, uh, to Singapore uh, a while ago under Lee Kuan Yew, um, maybe even to South Korea after the Second World War. So he, he is engaged in a, in a radical overhaul of the economy and of the, uh, of the social uh, practices that have prevailed in the kingdom. Uh, he feels that he cannot do this either through a, a system that is dependent on consensus building within the royal family because it involves disenfranchising large, large numbers of the royals and royals will not agree to their disenfranchisement. So he has to do this in an authoritarian fashion, uh, just as we see authoritarian uh, reforms taking place in China, for instance, under President Xi. Um, and and uh, he also feels that a large uh, percentage or, or, or group in society, mainly women and the young, uh, have been left out, and that they are the future, they are the more uh, better educated, the more competent, the harder working elements in society, and that business as usual, which depended on 
you know, men in their 70s and 80s, uh, sometimes 90s, having to decide on things and taking forever to do so, sometimes even never deciding on anything, uh, is simply detrimental to the future of the country. So some of the changes that he is engaged in, for instance, um, uh, uh, not, not just circumscribing the, the religious uh, elements in society, but opening up the country to women driving, to musical concerts, uh, to uh, forms of taxation, um, all of that is unprecedented in, in the kingdom. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, what we see with him is, yes, it's true, there's a repeat of some of the re reform talk of the past, the five-year plans that Jamal mentioned, but he's actually a man of action in a way that we haven't seen uh, really uh, for a very, very long time in, in the kingdom. But, but I would like to see very much serious, proper advisors right next to him. And I think that's what he lacks. He would need, for, for, for his foreign policy, for example, a veteran Saudi uh, politicians, diplomat like Turk al-Faisal, the former chief of uh, uh, Saudi uh, intelligence, to be by his side. Uh, and to have like a Saudi Arabian Milton Friedman, who will guide him and give him advice in how to do his uh, economic uh, reforms. For example, this curb on corruption. In, in principle, it is good, but it, 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 it resulted in uh, a recession of the Saudi uh, uh, market, the Saudi uh, economy, the, the private sector is suffering today. Uh, maybe he did not oversee uh, the side effect of this purge. Sometimes I feel his style is shoot first, aim later. He needs proper advisors around him. Uh, to lead Saudi Arabia into the future, but he does believe in himself. It's obvious he very much believes in himself. Well, there's no, there's no doubt that there's no lack of uh, self-confidence yes. by this, by this uh, young prince. I, I want to pick up on, on Jamal. This is a fascinating conversation, but I have to move it along. And I want to pick up on Jamal on your comment of shoot first and think later and move to foreign policy, because that really is perhaps where the shoot first and think later has really uh, shown itself, whether it's in Yemen or in Lebanon. Uh, um, he has been highly criticized on a lot of his foreign policy and let's begin with the issue of Iran and you know he 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 said very i think controversially he said in a radio interview once that he wanted an inevitable conflict with Iran to occur on Iran's territory not on Saudi territory why why um I guess two questions why is is he so fixated on Iran do you think that that that's is there a good reason for that? And the second one is during all of these protests, he seems to have been in Iran, he seems to have been quite quiet. Let me hand you, Jamal, the, the first uh, opportunity. He should be fixated in Iran. I am fixated as a Saudi Arabian. I'm worried of the Iranians' influence around me, around my country. And the Iranians are advancing. The Iranians, they are uh, repeating the expansionist policies or the expansionist behaviors of mid-century countries in the Muslim world. They, they want to correct history according to their own perspective. Uh, and we see the Iranians t today fighting far away from their land, uh, thousands miles away from their land, in our 
Sunni territories of Syria. They are fighting in Aleppo, and they are winning. And it worries me that we are not winning, and he is the one who should lead that. I see everybody in Syria has a strong partner. The, the, the Kurds in Syria have uh, the Americans. Uh, the, 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 the regime in, uh, uh, the Alawi regime in Syria has the, the, the Russians and the Iranians. And we, the Arab Sunnis, who are the majority and who are suffering the, the most, whom do we have by our side? We have Gerard Kushner, and he cannot deliver. Mohammed bin Salman put all his eggs, all his uh, trust in Donald Trump. And even Donald, we all know, agree that Donald Trump doesn't like Iran. But does he, can he uh, kick the Iranians out of Syria? No. So Mohammed bin Salman need to look for a new strategy to create a Sunni, a fictive bloc that could transform uh, the, the tide of the confrontation, embrace Arab Spring, because Arab Spring is what will bring him the support of uh, the, the, the most of the Arab populations, whether we are talking about in Egypt or in Syria, and uh, give away this obsession with, uh, with, with fighting Arab reform. He needs reform. He needs Arab reform because it is the future of, of the Arab world. Let me ask uh, Bernard Heichel, do, do, you, do you see that this, the, the notion of an aggressive Sunni defense centered on Saudi Arabia, I mean, is, is, Yemen, is Yemen a good example of that? I mean, I'd love you to, hasn't, hasn't that actually gotten uh, Mohammed bin Salman in, into trouble? Well, um, for, first, let me just correct one thing you said in, in, your, in your question. Um, the, the, this was a TV interview with Mohammed bin Salman in which he said that if Iran is going to try to take the war to us on our land, we will take the war to them on their land, on their territory. So he very much sees himself, that is Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, uh, as, as engaged in a defensive posture uh, against an aggressive Iran that basically uses non-state actors, um, what we would consider terrorist groups, um, like Hezbollah in Lebanon. These are primarily Arab Shiites who are willing to fight as mercenaries on behalf of Iran. And MBS sees that in Yemen, the Iranians have engaged a local uh, Shiite group called the Houthis um, uh, to do their bidding for them. In other words, that the Iranians have inserted themselves inside Yemeni politics, but ultimately with the aim of threatening the national security of Saudi Arabia. And we see that the Yemenis, uh, that is the Houthis, have led incursions into Saudi territory. They have fired ballistic missiles onto Saudi cities. And for, for the Saudis, that's just a red line that's unacceptable. So that uh, their aim in Yemen is to stop the Iranian pipeline and relationship with the Houthis. Have they succeeded? Not entirely, but uh, it's clear that the Saudis uh, will not allow Iran to build a proxy force like it has done in Lebanon with Hezbollah. And frankly, and to be fair, Yemen doesn't have a uh, military solution uh, that either the Saudis or the Americans or anyone else can uh, can can devise. Yemen suffers from deep uh, misgovernance, bad governance over four or five decades now, uh, and its problems are largely internal. Uh, it's a bit like Afghanistan, and I don't think 
uh, it's fair to expect the Saudis to somehow, quote unquote, win in Yemen. There's no winning. There's a question of managing Yemen and preventing its chaos from spilling over into Saudi Arabia. And I think that is the principal aim of the Saudis when it comes to Yemen. I think that's a, that's interesting, and I'd love to just continue along this line for a while because it certainly seems from Western the Western reading of what has happened in Yemen, and indeed uh, what happened with uh, Prime Minister Hariri in in Lebanon. It seems like that from a from a uh, image and a public relations point of view, both of these things have been spectacular failures for. For Saudi Arabia, I mean, in both of these occasions, the Saudi have been seen to shoot first and think later, to cause massive humanitarian problems in Yemen. Even the, even though there may be no fix to Yemen, they've certainly worsened the situation in Yemen. Uh, and similarly, with Prime Minister Hariri, there seems to have been at the beginning an attempt to pressure him into being stronger, but that seems to have also failed spectacularly as the entire world wondered what, is hap what happened to him. So is this, I mean, are we, are we in the West reading this wrong? Do we need to, I mean, this, I think this is, this is exactly why this radio show exists, why this podcast exists, to read things right. Tell us if we're reading this wrong. Uh, th that is why Mohammed bin Salman need to revise his policy. No, what, what you read is right. Uh, uh, it, it, this policy, this hasty uh, jumping into action without proper planning resulted of failures. We, the Saudis, are not winning the war uh, in, in, in the Middle East at two fronts. Uh, the Iranian expansionism and the failures around us. The failures are as dangerous. The failures, the failures in the Middle East uh, provide a, an environment for radicalism, like ISIS-type uh, organization, and Iranians' uh, uh, expansionism. So he needs to revise that. There is something important about Mohammed bin Salman uh, uh, that uh, hinder his foreign policy and, and, and his decision-making process. It is his obsession and worries of political Islam. He doesn't trust political Islam even though Saudi Arabia is the mother and father of political Islam. Saudi Arabia is found on political Islam and the result of political Islam. But he has this huge paranoia and, and, and worries of the Muslim Brotherhood, political Islam. While political Islam are, should be the national ally to Saudi Arabia in its confrontation to Iran, and political Islam is an, an, an ascension, ascension uh, uh, ingredient for democracy. Democracy is the solution for the, Arab, uh, for the Arab world. That's what will put those failing countries together. Some form of democracy, some form of power sharing. And political Islam will always play a role. And to uh, eliminate or to uh, uh, refuse political Islam uh, into the, that process, that will not lead to democracy like what we have in Egypt today. Uh, so he has to reconcile with political Islam in order for him to win, to win this confrontation and make Saudi Arabia safer again. Bernard Heichel, would you care to comment on, on also our, our Western reading of what's going on around Saudi Arabia and on Jamal's points? That I yeah, think I, 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 I mean, I agree with Jamal that I think that a greater accountability when it comes to governance is absolutely necessary. Now, whether that will take the form of democracy, uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't see... Mohammed bin Salman as a liberal Democrat, I think of him 
as an authoritarian um, and um, as uh, someone who is much more in the traditional mold of an Islamic uh, sultan, as a Muslim ruler, Very rather good. than ra rather than a, um, a a democrat or someone who will allow for elections, for instance. I think to properly understand him, though, you have to go back at least to 2003, when uh, the United States destroyed the Iraqi state and essentially handed Iraq over to Iran. Then after that, you have President Obama, who was uh, engaged in overtures and an attempt to reconcile with Iran, uh, which is, as Jamal pointed out, a traditional foe and an aggressive state when it comes to Saudi Arabia. Uh, and by the way, the Iranians have made no secret of their desire to destroy the Saudi dynasty and its system of rule. Um, so I think the combination of the destruction of the Iraqi state, uh, the uh, rapprochement with Iran by Obama, uh, the Arab Spring events also where Obama abandoned uh, longstanding allies like President Mubarak in Egypt, all of that led the Saudis to, uh, the Saudi leadership to think that basically uh, the world has changed radically, uh, we have to depend on our own resources to defend ourselves and to project power, and that the United States is no longer there as a uh, strategic ally who uh, will always be there to uh, protect the kingdom. Uh, and I think what Mohammed bin Salman is trying to do is to build up that military and political capacity of the Saudi state. And that is not something that you can do quickly. It will take uh, decades for that capacity to be built. Uh, but I think we, what we see in Yemen, what we see with Qatar, what we see uh, with Iraq, with Iran, with Bahrain, uh, the alliance with the UAE, uh, and also uh, what, what happened with Hariri in Lebanon is all part of a kind of learning process and a building process of uh, internal Saudi capacity to defend itself and to project force. Uh, which is which is something it has not had to do uh, since, um, you know, World War II. Bernard Haeckel, Jamal Khashoggi, thank you so much for joining us. There's so much more to talk about, but we'll have to leave it for next time. Thank, thank you, you for being on Altamar. Thank, thank you, you so what, Mooney? What do we? I, it's so hard to say. You know, is this an autocrat in training? Is he a well-meaning young leader who just needs to control his impulses? Who knows? I have to say that I come down on the side of anything that sort of kicks over the chessboard in the Middle East, that starts anew, that is seems like a radical change, is um, something that is. Uh, uh, good for the people. So I, I remain hopeful uh, with uh, Mohammed bin Salman and the future of Saudi Arabia that he can at least do some important changes that the country so badly needs and that the region so deeply wants. My real concern, Peter, is that in kicking over the chessboard, um, he neglects the very necessary economic reforms at home and social reforms and really deepens them beyond the cosmetic and decides to start you know, wars and increased tensions in a very volatile region. But now he's going on a road trip. Uh, he's visiting Theresa May um, and has plans to go to both Paris and Washington. So I think it, a lot remains to be seen about whether he can consolidate his very promised reforms and his uh, headline-grabbing maneuvers in the future. So I think, you know, the conclusion is no doubt that this is a man who will have great power for a very long time. And with that... 
we'll leave it to you to conclude what you think of Mohammed bin Salman, and we'll see you next time on Altamar. <laughs>